Wow, so welcome to Open Life. My name is Thad, and uh, we're on the final week of this series called Get Over It. And with the additional subtitle, I guess you would say, it's okay to not be okay, which both of those are really polarized, right? Intentionally, we're introducing the beautiful tension in the middle there of the reality of living in a world that says get over it, and oftentimes, unfortunately, the church tells you to get over it, and then on that other side, realizing Jesus tells us over and over and over again that it's okay to not be okay. Today is one of the most challenging talks to tackle, but we had to because when you think of the different things that you're told to get over, one of those realities is mental health. So we thought, man, how, how dare we as non-experts go after this, right? I in no way, shape, or form am an expert besides the fact that most people would look at me and say, yeah, he's got issues, right? So, I mean, maybe I am through experience an expert. Yeah, just moving on. Um, my third point probably I need to listen to. Anyway, I'll, we'll get there uh, unless you're on the, the app and you already know what that point is. But So we're going to talk about mental health. We're going to jump right in and take very broad brush strokes because, again, we didn't invite like professionals here to do this talk. We're attempting it ourselves after a lot of research and teamwork. It's, it's an extremely sensitive topic and, and honestly one that many of us are passionate about because we all have family or friends that are facing mental health illness realities and, and how can we help them or how can we receive hope ourselves. And so tackling this is vitally important and, and we can't ignore, right? So prayerfully, uh, my prayer for you is that, that you would be encouraged today. And the coolest thing, I got to tell you, I was actually getting a little messed up. You know, sometimes I tear up, right, at good things and sad things. Like, you know, the end of movies, like Braveheart, I'm like, yeah, it's beautiful. He gave, the, he gave his life. And Dana's like, how do you watch this show? You know, so I'm just, that's my reality in my home. But I was sitting there getting emotional like that uh, this morning and, and just because I was listening to the last two songs and knowing this talk really well and going, hope is such a key element for our life. We cannot live without this. And here's two different teams preparing for today coming together beautifully because this talk was not prepared in time for the song selection to occur. A team prayerfully selected songs for this day, and another team prayerfully developed a talk for this day. These come together and beautifully align. That is how much God cares for us. And I'm sitting here in the front going, God, you are amazing. You orchestrate something very beautiful every week, and uh, you get to be a part of it. He loves you so much. He'd bring you into this environment. And I was just sitting there going, I am in awe. He didn't just bring Jesus 2,000 years ago. He's here today bringing His presence to open up our hearts and breathe hope into us. 
either as carriers or recipients, and it's beautiful. So side note, I was off script. Here I go. Back. Um, man, for a long time, uh, mental health was stigmatized. Those really dealing with mental illness were, were just told, hey, get over it, right? Snap out of it and, and just be happy. Or someone with anxiety would just be told, calm down, take a chill pill. How many times have we said, take a chill pill, dude, right? But reality is, that's what they need is the chill pill. Okay, moving on. But it's like, you know, that's, that's just like, wow, uh, that's not what we want to do. Or even worse, I've heard this, flippantly quoting scriptures to people in hopes that they can help somebody deal with their reality. And, and it's just, ugh, if we're off a little bit with our application, it can be damaging and not helpful. And we're telling people uh, instead of it's okay to not be okay, we're telling them it's not okay to be not okay. And it gets really confusing to the recipient. The church has done a poor job too. And, and I say globally the church. I'm not speaking about open life specifically, but just over history, we've done things to those who are challenged with a season of mental illness in the church, like, you know, telling them that, man, maybe it's an issue of faith. They just don't have enough faith to be healed. And if they just had faith, they wouldn't need this medication. Or if they just had faith, they wouldn't be sad. Or if they just had faith, you know, or worse, maybe they're demon-possessed, and that's the source of this mental challenge, right? And, and now there's somebody uh, that's really looking in the mirror going, do I have a devil in me? Man, the last way is we've just ostracized people. Which, if you get all biblical, it would be kind of an Old Testament covenant type way of living, which means there's this preparation for Jesus in our Bible. There's an Old Testament, the first half, and a New Testament where Jesus shows up and introduces this new covenant or new commitment with humankind that's called grace and love. The Old Testament was all about obey or be judged. And so you see people being cast out of cities and not able to come in. And, and so we still do that to people. We live in this Old Testament way of, well, uh, you got issues, out. Because this church, we just need to stay perfect and holy. And you might interrupt our holiness, right? No, that's not why Jesus came and introduced this love and acceptance and grace that we have to live out as messy as that is. So we deal with these tensions when we look at tackling the realities of mental health. And I want to start by saying whether you are facing this challenge yourself or you love someone that's facing this, today should be a breath of fresh air and very significant because we can go out from here as carriers of hope. Um, man, I I just want to dive into a passage that can really help us walk through this, and it's Romans eight thirty-seven through 39. It says this, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, angels nor demons, 
neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me just repeat that. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Just let that sink in. Nothing. Nothing actually here means nothing, right? Because we find this, well, but there's that one. No, nothing. No power, no darkness, no anxiety, no worry, no bipolar disorder, no anxiety, no ADHD, no depression. Nothing will separate us from God's love. That's awesome. So this is how we landed at our big idea today. Our big idea for the day today is you matter to God. You matter so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, to this earth, and we celebrate it during Christmas, right? This is the baby Jesus happy time. And so, you know, right? It's like, it's like this is what it's all about. Jesus comes. God cares about you so much that he sent his one and only son, not to condemn you, but to give you life. And so nothing could separate you from God's love. And, you know, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says this, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God. He cares about you. God cares about you so much that He sent His Son. That's amazing. It's amazing how much we matter to God. So big idea, you matter to God. Thought one, there's a few things that matter. And one is theology. Theology matters, right? Because this is where we get off. What you're taught and what you believe the Bible is guiding you to do, your theology, like how do you read the Bible? How do you interpret the text of Scripture matters? And it matters how the church that you're attending defines or interprets Scripture because you could have some interesting views on issues like mental health if misinterpreted, right? Churches have reacted instead of digging into the life-giving text of Scriptures. And this hurts people, not helps people. We're given the gospel. It's good news, this message of Jesus. That's what gospel means, good news. It's not, here's some bad news for you. Jesus didn't come so we share bad news. He came so we could share good news. And so I look here and I go, what are the assumptions being made again on people? And there's assumptions of sin. Man, who sinned? Them or their family that they're dealing with this season? Wrong interpretation of text. Assumptions like you have a demon right? Assumptions like you just lack the faith to be healed. Maybe you've been told to repent and ask for deliverance. In other words, get over it, right? Theologically. 
But what can we believe? What should we believe in these areas? And we grabbed three very important things to believe. Three very important theological beliefs, I guess you could say, that we should grab a hold of. And the first is, your disease is not your identity. Your disease is not your identity. And man, I look at that and we're singing these songs about who we are. (laughs) It's who I am. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. How in the world did we come to sing that song today? The Holy Spirit, because it's right on with this point. It's theologically correct. First, or Second Corinthians one twenty one says, "It's God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us, and He has identified us as His own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything He has promised us." It's who I am. I'm loved by you. Man, drop the mic. We're done. Amen. Let's pray, right? It's just like, woo! That's all we... If, when we are children of the Father, we're loved. That's who we are. Don't listen to the voice that you're your illness. That's not right. It's easy to see how this illness that consumes your focus, that consumes your management of time, that consumes your day, and, and you try to avoid the weaknesses and the lows or the highs, and you're, you're trying to deal with all this, and it can, can fog up the relationship we have with Jesus and the love God has for us, and it can distort our identity. Your identity is not determined by what is happening to you, but what happened in you according to this text in Scripture. And what happens in you when you choose to follow Jesus, you are given a first installment. You're given the Holy Spirit to guide and encourage and defend you. That's your identity. You become a literal child of God. You're bought with a price. You're chosen, hand-picked, deeply cared for. It says in the Psalms that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Wow. You matter to God because you're a child of God. He cares about you. He, he, he has hope for your future. Nothing can separate you. Nothing can separate you from the reality. Theology matters, right? I mean, the second reality of theology mattering is you're free from condemnation. Again, if God wanted to send a condemner, that would be the plan of Scripture, right? That one day a final judge would come and he would condemn those who did not obey him. But he didn't send a condemner. He sent a Savior to save us because we needed saving. So the text that we read in Scripture has passages like this, Romans 8.1, now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. 
No condemnation. You feel you're letting those down around you because of your mental health issues or, you know, you're maybe not able to do something that somebody else would be able to handle. And you go, man, this is my fault. And you start blaming yourself, and blame leads to guilt, and guilt leads to shame and self-condemnation. And then you hear the media who just layers on the condemnation, telling you that if you come and, and, and anybody finds out that you have mental health issues, all of a sudden you can't own the same things other people's own, and, and you're just one little snap away from being the next person on the media because you're trying to take everybody else out. And it's not a gun issue, it's a mental health issue, and you're condemning, and you're weighing on the shame and you're carrying that. And if not you, those who are around you are facing this. Trust me. There are those around us carrying the weight of condemnation and shame. But Jesus is not just saying here that the amount of condemnation will be lifted or, you know, He'll help you strengthen yourself through your circumstance. He's saying there's actually, there's actually like no space for those who follow Jesus, there's no space for condemnation. It's gone. There's none, zilch, nada, no condemnation. So I look at this and I go, wow. I remember having a coffee with, with one of our girls' teachers as she said, hey, I just wanted to let you know, I know that you're a pastor, and, and uh, I just wanted to share with you that we're you know, I've, I've been struggling with mental illness for years now, and I often miss school, but your, your daughters are safe in my class, and I just wondered if you could pray for me because I'm going to go public with my mental illness and start blogging and writing about it. And we were just like, way to go. Way to conquer the stigma. Way to come out from under the shame and begin to speak for the, the positiveness and the realities of hope on the other side. Because life looks like a patchwork, not perfect. Life is not the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> and way to have courage. I was so proud of her. I was like, come on. This is what it's about. There's no condemnation. And be able to speak into someone who is not a follower of Jesus and speak into someone's life and encouragement and just pray. What a privilege. There's no condemnation. People need to know that. People need that hope around us. And hopefully we're safe to share that, which I'll get to more in a second. Third reality of theology that, that was very interesting that came to us while we were studying this issue is Jesus comes to the downcast. I mean, theology matters, and this matters. If you look at the patterns of God, you look at the patterns of Jesus, He comes to the downcast. And, and I, I look at the psalmist who wrote things like, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You'll not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Psalm 51, 17, if you're taking notes. Jesus demonstrated this after He rose from the grave. You know, the, the, the disciples saw Jesus, and they thought He was going to be an earthly king. They didn't quite get that it was a spiritual reign that was coming. And so when Jesus went to the… Even though He shared, and it just never landed, right? He shared with them over and over again. Three days later, 
the Son of Man will rise. And they're like, oh, but our earthly king, you know. And uh, so they, they, when he died and they put him in the grave, it, like three days later was coming and people were really sad. And so this two guys that were walking in between uh, Jerusalem and and uh, Emmaus or wherever. Anyway, so they were walking, and, uh, and so Jesus comes up to them. The resurrected Jesus comes up to them, and it says this in Luke 24, 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. The psalmist was right years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. David, as he wrote those psalms, they said he was a man after God's own heart. He just got the fact God comes to the downcast. Jesus could have gone to the religious people and said, told you so. Jesus could have showed up to, you know, his disciples. Jesus could have showed up to all these others that he had yet to show up to. Who does he go to? He goes to a couple guys that are downcast on a walk. They've given up. That's who Jesus approaches and, and runs to. And so when we feel lows, guess who's right there? Guess who's coming after us? When we're at our lowest, we should be the most hopeful. Because Jesus comes to the down. He, that's just his character. I love this. He shows up to encourage the downcast. So theology matters, right? Because if we don't believe those things, we're going to have a wrong view of the grace of God. And if you're loving someone who's facing the reality of mental health illness, we need to introduce them to Jesus because those promises come alive. Thought number two, community matters. So theology matters, community matters. So the stats that we could find out there are anywhere from 20 to 25% of us will suffer from some sort of mental illness. And the other 75 to 80% will know someone, therefore, <laughs> who's challenged by this. And, and so the church can play a vital piece in people's lives through their ups and downs, no matter what mental illness we're facing. James 1.27 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Well, that's orphans and widows. So this is the Bible for you. The Bible doesn't come right out and say, thou shalt in the case of mental illness do this, right? We don't get that in the text. And we don't get that on a lot of issues, you know. Um, I don't know how many times, you know, you get the how much is too much or what does the Bible say about questions, and the Bible doesn't speak directly to it. But here's the coolest things about Scripture is we always are given principles that can guide us. So here's one of those illustrated moments where we can find the principle, the character, the heart of God in this text. And the reality is, He comes to the distress. 
And perfect community is a community that is safe even in distress. And I begin to look at this and I go, man, I don't want to let the world corrupt my perception and make me think I have to be safe and away from everybody who might be in distress because i got to protect my little pot of, of loved ones and close the doors of the church to people unless they're really, really perfect and wear skinny jeans and can come in, right? Did I say skinny jeans? Okay, I don't. no insult if you can fit in those, but I can't even get my arm in skinny jeans, let alone. Okay, moving on. After Thanksgiving, these have become skinny jeans, mainly in the area that you can't see underneath the baggy shirt that I put on. I'm wearing a skinny t-shirt under here, and I'm a little worried that if there's too much pressure by a button, it may rip right in half underneath, but that's too much information. T-M-I. So, here's the reality of the church. We need to be a place where you can belong in a safe community of faith that's filled with hope, that's filled with love, and points towards being able to pull people up to Jesus when times are tough, where we can lead people. I just look at our our reality. People need to know one another and, and prioritize relationships so we can share transparently what we're dealing with. That's what, honestly, the groups element of the church is all about. And we wrestle as a staff, like, how do we do groups to make people prioritize them and show up for them and sign up for them and lead them and host them and all these things? And we, we sit there and brainstorm and, and pray and go, man, if only we could do this, this, and this, and this. And we just, because we know the community that happens in groups is what is necessary to get us through, like, person-on-person loving through a season where you have someone in your life that can say, hey, they know you struggle with anxiety, and when you're starting to go into your shell and you're starting to hide a little bit, they can say, let's go for a walk. And, and you go, no, I, I, and then no, no, we, let's go for a walk because you need that, and they know you need that, and they can love you through your lows. A people that would really be all the things that we put on our culture back there, right? That we'd be people leading people, that we would be the connecting with one another and sharing life with one another and serving one another in ways that we could get through the distress, refusing to let the world tell us to flee anybody that's facing mental illness. It's like backwards, right? I can't believe that we would actually adopt the philosophy of not allowing people who are hurting into our midst but it's happened in the church. Imagine a church that would embrace everyone and love the distressed and not let the world corrupt corrupt our courage to love. It's a beautiful picture of what God can do. People who can lift up the downcast, people who can encourage others that they're not condemned, people who could help others realize their identity is in Christ. It's powerful. It's a powerful thing. 1 Corinthians 12, 22 says this, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts 
do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Wow. What an impact we could make by living this out. Powerful. Thought number three, and wow, I'm landing this talk way faster than normal. But anyway, uh, thought number three, science matters. Whoa, wait a second, pastor. Aren't we at church? Did you just say the S word? I sure did. Science matters. There's other words. Anyway, moving on. Uh, right? This is not easy. This is, this is a challenge to, to our reality. Do we take the pills or is that a sign of weakness in our faith? Right? Come on. This is a reality is what do we do about the whole medical reality side and, and what should our perspective be? And, and, and again, there's no condemnation, I know, but like the reality is why do we stigmatize and why do we label this as weak faith if somebody accepts medical help when the truth of the issue is that very pill may have been an answer to prayer and a miracle created by a follower of Jesus who God finally showed the ingredients to help stabilize someone. We cannot downplay that side of science. God's the ultimate one that confirms how He created us to people for them to be able to provide medical help. He's over all things, and all things are under Him, we're told in Scripture. Listen to this. Luke 5, 31 says this, Jesus answered them, healthy people do not need a doctor. Sick people do. Now think about that for a second. This is being written by a doctor. Luke was a doctor, and he wrote one of the Gospels. If God was mad at science or the medical industry or it represented a lack of health or like spirituality or faith, do you think he would have had a doctor write one of the Gospels? Do you really think that he would have done that and risked people putting two and two together? Instead, he knew the detail and the mind behind the science. It's funny, when scientists go out to disprove the gospel, what do they end up always doing? Proving it. Exactly, because it's true what we read in the Scriptures, and they just end up proving it, and they're always mad. And there's some great books written by scientists or medical professionals that find God in their profession. So I look at this and go, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. So sick people need a doctor. That's okay. And we need to trust that God can do a miracle through the advice we get medically 
or he could do it instantaneously through a moment of prayer. So I'm going to keep praying for healing because I know my Bible teaches that through prayer and when the elders come together, which is like people older in the faith than you, can come together and pray for you, that the Bible says you can be healed. So that's true. You can be healed instantly. But as well, God can use a process called sanctification, where over time you are healed, both spiritually and physically. It's a time-lapsed healing, not an instant miracle. And that can, He can use the medical world to do that. Science does matter. And if we dismiss all of medicine and science, we're that story in the media, where the child dies because we did not do what we could have done That's not what God desires. And so Luke, this doctor, authors this moment. And so does Matthew and Mark in the other Gospels. I mean, it's affirmed in all of them. Science can't explain some of the things God does. But we can find help in science and medicine as well. So I think there's this interesting tension and balance. We should drop the medication stigma and realize God can use anything. And we should pray for wisdom, certainly, because maybe, just maybe, we're in a season globally where we do prescribe way too much medication. So we do need wisdom. That's the tension of it. It's like, I know we're prescribing, prescribing too much medication in the world statistically, yet I also know God can use it. So the tension is there. And that's why we pray. That's why we seek wisdom from God. That's why we saturate our life in Scripture. So our action point today is this. Carry hope. Very simple. Carry hope. Maybe you're suffering from mental health illness, disorder, issue, however you want to word that. You need to receive hope today. You need to embrace the hope that's promised in Scripture. And the way you enter through that door is you choose to follow Jesus. First and foremost, these promises are for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as well, maybe you know someone who's facing challenges in the mental health area. You need to be a carrier of hope and the message of hope in Jesus. We have to bring hope to people. We cannot avoid those who are living out these challenges, and we must love them. Not stigmatize them, not label them, not give them an identity of anything other than being filled with hope in Christ Jesus. Psalm 42.5, I'll close with this and then pray for you. Says this simply, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. 
many would say, King David, the author of the majority of the Psalms, experienced depression. He writes about the deepest, darkest, unlifting pain he went through. And, and there's some very dark portions of Psalms. And you just go, okay, I, I could connect with that. And what did he realize? Even he realized hope in God. God, I thank you for your word. Man, you give us the ability to even just download an app like version onto our phone and, and in the Christmas season, grab like a Christmas devotional or scripture read or whatever to where we can saturate ourselves with the promises in your scripture. And you love us so much that you even give us promises involving issues like mental health. It's amazing. It all comes back to one reality, hope. So I pray that God, you would commission us today you would either allow us to embrace hope today in this room and confess you as Lord, or maybe you would send us out as the carriers of hope to the world around us. And no matter how dark the season gets or how low the low gets, we can lift each other up, do life with one another, be faithful in carrying the hope in Jesus to the world around us. God, I specifically pray for those who need to make that choice today to follow you that they would simply embrace the reality that you sent your son for us, that your son was born, which we celebrate in this season, lived a sinless life, went to the cross for us, and by your blood, we're healed. We have access to healing. And then, not only that, but you did go to the grave and raised three days later, and as we read today, you ran to the downcast. And I pray that God, some in here have yet to choose to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior would say, okay, today's my day and I'm going to pray this prayer. Jesus, I choose to follow you. I say yes to your love today. And I want to learn what that is. I want to learn how to follow you. I want to grow in a relationship with you so that I can lift not only myself up, I want to lift others up in this hope you promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.